0: study in the book of Revelation in a series called seven and uh, because it's written to seven churches and uh, we want to uh, just continue to remind ourselves why are we studying this why Why look at the book of Revelation is this to to try to figure out some uh, unknown biblical code or secret code about uh, the book of Revelation and the end times no, I mean we'll we'll figure out some of those uh, some of those things. Those we'll look at some of those things and figure out, try to figure out what those are. But that's that's not the point. Really, the point of studying the book of Revelation is like the point of any other scripture. Scripture, the Bible, is one unified story about Jesus Christ coming to redeem and rescue a people for Himself, and the book of Revelation culminates that unified story that this is a story, this is 66 books written by over 40 authors. This is, this is uh, inspired by God to tell one story primarily, and that is the story of Jesus Christ. It's the story of, of God who, who was high and lofted up in, 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 on his heavenly throne, seeing that people needed redemption. People needed a way out to send Jesus himself. It's Philippians 2, 5. It's one of my favorite verses. And following says that Jesus did not uh, count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And so he emptied himself and put on flesh. And he came down for you and I. and He gave up his heavenly throne temporarily to come and to, to live on earth and to be you and i uh, be our high priests to identify with us in our sins and trials and tribulations and to overcome them and by overcoming to establish a kingdom for you and i to be a part of and that's the story of scripture that's the story of the book of revelation and that's the story that Jesus wanted to remind in particular these seven churches who are on the who are on the front lines of of the Christian mission whose lights were, were ablaze in the midst of the darkest part of the, uh, uh, darker parts of our history than we've maybe known or seen. And so their lights were shining in the midst of all of the world and it helps us to see that that's what we're supposed to do. Our light as a collective body of Christ, as this local church is meant to shine out for the world to see. Jesus and his message of love and repentance and availability of the gospel message to anyone who believes. We need Jesus and revelation helps us see him. And we see that Jesus is equally the risen sacrificial lamb, the one who died but came alive again. And at the very same time held together as eternal God. The one who died is God. The one who died is alive. Simultaneously meek and mild and triumphant and lofty. That's the beauty of Jesus and that's the tension of who He is. He's transcendent and at the very same time, imminent. In our midst, with us, caring, kind and near we oftentimes forget about this picture of jesus that he is holy god that he is almighty transcendent god and it gives us a better picture of how sweet his sacrifice was and how how willing he was and his how great his love went out for us it's a dire importance that we realize that though God can seem far off, though Jesus, through Jesus and his sacrifice, we are brought near to him. It's near to Jesus that we must not only long to be, but begin pursuing in our lives. And that's the picture we get, and that's the thing that Jesus reminded these seven churches the, the, particularly the four that we're, we're discussing today, to help them to see, yes, He is God, but He's also right there with them. He's given them His life. He's given them Himself as a sacrifice so that they could be brought near to God. Jesus wanted His churches to know that He was both eternal God and resurrected Lamb. Let's just sit in the tension of that for a moment. Eternal God, high and lofty, and then meek and mild Lamb, slain before the foundation of the world and resurrected to new life. And I love that Jesus embodies both of those. And we must hold those up and understand those. Do you recall in the the book of Exodus when... Many of the people had sinned, and, and so God sent, a, 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 sent snakes to bite them and infect them. And they made a bronze image of a snake, and they lifted it up so that anyone who looked at it would be healed. That snake was a picture of Jesus slain on the cross for you and me. And Scripture tells us that when He is lifted up, in the same way that the bronze snake was lifted up and anyone who looked at it would be healed, Jesus, in His broken state, in His weakest state, was lifted up on a cross so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And it's through His sacrifice He brings that to you and I. And that's the thing that we need to understand and realize that He's worthy of our all, and also he's made himself available to us by his sacrifice. Would you look with me as we read Revelation beginning in chapter 2, verse 8, and we read what he wrote to four of these churches. If you're able, would you stand in in the reading of God's word? And as we get to the end of uh, verse 6 of chapter 3... I will state the word of the Lord, and if you would just say, thanks be to God, because we want to thank him for his almighty, powerful, inerrant word. Let's read together. Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life, I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for ten days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches— The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. Let's continue reading. Write to the angel of the church in Pergamum. Thus says the one who is the sharp, double-edged sword, I know where you live, where Satan's throne is, yet you are holding on to my name and did not deny your faith in me. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death among you where Satan lives, but I have a few things against you. You have, you have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites to meet, eat meat, sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. In the same way, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So repent, otherwise I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth." Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. We'll continue reading the others in just a moment, but I want to stop here and help us to see a couple of things in these passages. Would you be seated? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what we see here is a specific letter to a Smyrna church. Now I want to remind you, and we have a slide for you to look at, and I was told, I was told that you couldn't see that last week, and I get it. There, there's a lot of information to get on there. So look around you. There is a copy in your seat, and then there's a copy up here if you don't get one, and there's also one from last week if you'd like to get that. But what we see is a pattern to the messages that Jesus gave to each of these churches. First, he addresses the church. He gives a picture of himself. He tells them something they're doing well and usually tells them something they're doing poorly, a correction about that um, a condemnation he gives them, and a challenge. And that's the tr- truth of what's happening here. He gives Smyrna... This specific message. And he reminds them of who he is. Now notice, Smyrna is different. He doesn't tell them anything they're doing poorly. He commends them. And commends them only. He has no condemnation for them and thus no correction. And so that's important to remember about the church in Smyrna. And what we see in this passage, in these just a few verses, as this message is given to this church, is that Jesus wants them to see that by his death and resurrection, he reigns over all things. By Jesus' death and resurrection, he reigns over all things. We we began this study in Revelation by looking at the vision John saw that was brought to him, or that brought him to his knees. And we hear from John that he fellowships with the sufferings of Jesus Jesus and the sufferings of these churches, and he helps them to see that it's through their suffering and through Jesus' suffering that Jesus earned the right to be the transcendent ruler over all things. That's chapter 1 and verse 9, that he talks about the fellowship of the sufferings and what Jesus was able to be accomplished through his affliction and endurance, and thus what is accomplished through the affliction and endurance of a, a faithful body of believers to live out the kingdom that Jesus has initiated. Jesus' death and resurrection was a powerful thing, it brought about many things, and Jesus is fairly positive with the Smyrna church. He offers no condemnation, but he does begin by holding in balance this tension of eternal God, first and last, he says, and the one who died and rose again. Look at verse, uh, look chapter 2, verse 8. Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna, thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. You see, it's through his death and resurrection that he has lifted up high for us to see, for us to be changed by that, and for us to identify with what he went through. Look at this slide again where he talks to the, uh, the Smyrna church, and he mentions to them, hey, listen, you've had tribulation, poverty, and slander. You've gone through the wringer. And he tells them they're going to go through more of it. How would you like that? What an encouraging message, right? Hey, I know things have been rough, but uh, you got to keep going. Imagine if somebody came to us March of 2020, right? When we all thought we would just be out of, out of church and the world would stop for like four weeks and then we'd get come back and, and here we are. It's almost March of 2022 and COVID still runs rampant, right? What if someone came to us that fourth week, right? That we were supposed to just... Hunker down. Do you remember that? Flatten the curve. Do you remember all that? I know it's, it seems like an eternity ago, but do you remember that? What if somebody came to us after that four weeks and was like, hey, just so you know, I know you've had a hard time, but this thing ain't gonna be over for a while. You yeah, you're looking at you know, mid-2022. We would lose our cool. We were like, what are you talking about? Sometimes it's helpful. We don't know what's ahead of us, right? But Jesus says, hey, we know you've been through the ringer at Church of Smyrna, but you're gonna go through some more. But what he says, and he he identifies with them. Because he's saying, listen, I've been there. I know what it's like. I suffered and died, but I rose again. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of it all. Yes, you will go through hard times. You will go through trials. You go through tribulations. But I am there with you. He says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you in the prison to test you. And you'll experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. So he helps us to see, and he says earlier in verse 9, I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. Because Jesus reigns over all things. He's Lord over our lives. Because of Jesus' sufferings, He's able to address the current suffering and future of sufferings to the Smyrna church and friends. Let's be honest. Yeah, this has been an inconvenient 25 months, this pandemic. But let's be honest, we've suffered. Through it as well. We've lost loved ones. There's been a lot of hurt and difficulty. And as Jesus mentions to the Smyrna church, listen, I know you're suffering, I know your affliction, but I'm here with you. Jesus says the same to you and I. I know what you're going through, I've been there, but you are rich because you have eternal life in me. And so we must remind ourselves that Jesus, yes, He knows we will go through suffering, but He is there with us, having endured suffering Himself. So what, what difficulties do you face today? Find comfort that Jesus has endured, and He reigns in your life to help you endure as well. The second thing we see from the, the, what He wrote to the church at Pergamum is that because he is the word made flesh, Jesus judges everything rightly. So he says to this church, he says, hey, the, this, this says the one who has the sharp double-edged sword. Now you'll remember that each of these, if you'll put that uh, slide up again, each of these has a picture of Jesus from chapter one. Well, in chapter one, verse 16, it talks about the sharp double-edged sword coming from his mouth. You see, Jesus is the embodiment of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The writer of Hebrews in 4 or two wrote about the double-edged sword, this double-edged sword that was able to divide bone and marrow and judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Jesus begins with a condemnation to this church, but he also delivers a... a so he starts with a commendation but then he delivers a scathing condemnation and correction what you see is that because Jesus has the word of God and he's the embodiment of that he's able to judge to the core of our being to the joint marrow to the thoughts and intentions he knows what's in our hearts he sees all he sees all and he knows all Nothing is hidden from him. And he judges correctly every time. There's been a lot of cases uh, in our world lately. And there's some of them that are trying to get appealed or turned over because they don't think that the right judgment was delivered. And that's not for us to debate today. The truth of the matter is that Jesus is the perfect judge. He never gets it wrong because he knows every detail. He knows all the evidence. He knows exactly what was said and what was done. And so he's looking into the heart of this church. He's judging between their thoughts and intentions. He's judging the heart of the matter. And what we see is that he knows our hearts and their intentions. And our mere lip service is not enough. Jesus talks about what they did well. He says, You're faithful. You honor the name of Jesus. You don't deny the uh, faith in Christ. So, what he's saying is that you've gotten some of those things right. You say the right things, but then what did he say? What is the condemnation he gives them? He says, You hold to the teaching of Balaam, which is just spiritual compromise that has led you to spiritual idolatry and sexual immorality. See, so he was dealing with a church that said the right thing, but lived a different way at a different time now he gives this scathing condemnation and correction but he doesn't leave them at a place where they are continuing to wallow in this specific type of compromise he gives them a way out and he gives them a promise what does he say he says repent so he gives them an opportunity to repent but then he also tells them the promise. And as intense as the com- condemnation and the correction, <coughs> excuse me, the promise is equally intense in its reward. He talks about the manna that they will receive. Each one of these has a challenge that comes from the end of the book a promise, a prophecy of what they will receive if they will conquer. And so he references what's to come. In chapter 19, verse 12, he says, You will receive my hidden manna, a white stone, and a new name. Manna is symbolic of nourishment. A white stone is symbolic of righteousness. And a new name is symbolic of acceptance, that he will accept those who conquer in him. So it wasn't too late for these people. Jesus lovingly showed them what was wrong and needed to be corrected, told them to do it, and then said, if you will, there's a reward waiting for you. Jesus judges everything rightly, and he judges our own hearts and our own intentions, and we should be—we should not try to in any way mask that or hide that because Jesus sees all. We need to be clear about our own faults and the things that we need to turn from and to turn to Jesus so that our reward is in Him. I want to share with you uh, the other two churches and what was said to them. Allow me to read in chapter 2, verse 18 and following. Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, this says the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze. I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. So he gives them a, con- a commendation. He's saying, you're doing this well. I know that your last works are greater than the first, but I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and s- deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality." Look, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great affliction. Unless they repent of her works, I will strike her children to de- dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who haven't known the so-called secrets of Satan, as they say— I am not putting any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and the one who keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. And he will rule them with an iron scepter and will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my father, I also give, them, give him the morning star. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And then finally, the letter to Sardis Write to the angel of the church in Sardis, thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you're not alert, I will come like a thief and you will have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. So what we see here, first, to the the Christians gathered at the church of Thyatira, he says... And basically, we see this in this passage. He says, because he is solid and firm, Jesus sees all things as they truly are. Because he is solid and firm, Jesus sees all things as they truly are. It says that his feet are like burnished bronze, right? It's like bronze. Well, what does that mean? It means that he's solid, he's firm, he's grounded, and then it says his eyes are like a fiery flame. And this all comes from Revelation 1. And we see that Jesus is this, this person who can see what's really going on and see all that is there. There's no fooling Jesus. His feet are firmly planted, his eyes see all. He sees the good, which he told them he sees the good. I see your love, your faith, your patience. But he says, but you are tolerating the idolatry and sexual immorality of the woman Jezebel. What are we tolerating along these lines today? What do we tolerate? What should we repent repent of so we can hold fast to Jesus? I I thought this quote was great. I want you to see this quote as I read it. Uh, As I was studying this, I thought this was perfect. When the church looks like the world, you have a sick church. When the church acts like the world, you have an impotent church. When the church plays with the world, you have an unfaithful church. And that's what the slippery slope that the church in Thyatira was going around uh, on. Because they were tolerating it, and it it starts with sickness, and and then it is, um, has no power, and then ultimately it's unfaithful. It's important for us to see that, but the one who conquers, he has a message for the one who conquers, has the authority that comes from Jesus because they have Jesus. He says, you have the morning star. What does that mean? It's Jesus. They have Jesus. So even though they, they have tolerated Sin and the specific sin that he mentions here, they still have their Savior. So it's holding in balance this eternal God who sees and judges rightly, and this resurrected Lamb who's given away for them to be forgiven and changed, and they can conquer in Him and live in Him all along. As you can imagine, trying to get through four of these is, is, is tough. Um, And um, I've got one more, and and I'd love to get into more that's in each of these, but I think we see this overarching theme here, and so I want to get to that. The the fourth thing that we see, as he's written to the church in Sardis, we see that because light and life are in Jesus, in him, Jesus knows when the light has faded and the Spirit departed. The scathing remarks to this church are maybe some of the hardest. I want you to see that slide again, the Thyatira slide. We kind of moved past that one pretty quick. I encourage you to look at that on your own. But what we see here in the, the church in Sardis is that we see, number one, he, he says, I have the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Well, seven is the number of completion. So what we see is that symbolic, really, of the Holy Spirit. And then the seven stars are the, the light that shines out from these churches, the messengers to these churches that carry the light of Jesus with them. So he says, I have those in my hands. And that's a reference from chapter 1, verses 4 and 20. But he says, hey, I know your works, and it's a commendation just like every other one. But he jumps really quick, but he says, but you are dead spiritually. That's the most scathing remark yet. Why? What we see is that the one who who has the Spirit, Jesus, who has the Spirit of God, knows when something's not spiritual. Do you understand that? Like, there's no fooling God, there's no fooling Jesus. Because he has the Spirit, because the Spirit of God dwells within us, Jesus knows if we are, are not spiritual. Because the light of Jesus is in us and through us, when that light doesn't shine, Jesus knows. It's important for us to understand that and to see that. Jesus is light and life, and He knows when light and life don't exist in the things that claim that they do. And so He very clearly cuts to the chase: you're spiritually dead. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll look at that and we'll hone in on that, and we'll we'll think, well, what hope is there? And, and look at how Jesus, how 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 uh, of, you know He's. He's judging them. And that's not what we're used to with Jesus. You know, where's, where's the love? Or where's the, 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 the kindness? But w- if we only focus on his, his condemnation, we fail to realize and understand that he had a commendation too, but he also has a challenge. He, he gives them a way out of it. What does he say? Hey, you're spiritually dead. So here's what you do. Wake up. Wake up. Right? That's what he says. He says, wake up. Remember then what you've received and heard and keep it and repent. If you're not alert, I will come like a thief and you have no idea when the hour come upon you. So he says in verse 2, be alert or wake up. So he says, you're not alive. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. So what do you do? Be alert. Wake up. He gives an opportunity for them to come to life again, to realize the spirit and the life, that, the, the light that is available to them. He says you can walk in white garments again. And that's their promise. If you conquer, righteousness will be found in you eternally. eternally, And Jesus will speak your name. So I want to focus on this for a moment because in this overarching theme of these four books, we see Jesus as, as God. Able to judge the thoughts and intentions of anyone. Nothing is hidden from Him. Nothing is kept secret. And at the very same time, we see the resurrected Lamb of God who died for you and I. And so what do we do? What do we do? We trust in what Jesus offered us. We cry out to Him, asking Him, To reveal to us our sin, to help us to turn to Him and live in Him and love Him and serve Him. How many of us today need Jesus to make us white as snow again so that we can walk in righteousness in Him? What do we do? Wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains, He says. Wake up and strengthen that little flicker that's there. Wake up and see him again. Wake up and be changed by him again. Wake up and see Jesus for all he is again. Wake up and 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 realize that he died for you so that you wouldn't have to continue living in your way, wouldn't have to continue living in your sin, wouldn't have to continue living without hope, but that you could have hope. And you could trust that hope because he died for you and he loves you and wants you to trust him and live for him and follow him. And so Jesus says, wake up and strengthen what remains and depend on the once slain lamb who rose again and is the eternal God. His loyal actions demand our loyalty in return. So as we close... Maybe you and I aren't where the church of Smyrna is. Um, And maybe we aren't quite as bad as the church of Sardis. But I guarantee you that no matter what, no matter who's here in this room, we could use to wake up a little bit more to what Jesus has done and how much he loves us. And how our lives need to be lived for him because of what he's done. So my, my simple request today, would you just take a moment, would you take just a moment and ask God to show you how you can depend on, upon him a little bit more, how you can perhaps wake up, and how you can strengthen what remains, strengthen what's in, in our hearts and in our souls that Jesus has implanted there. And that he would reinvigorate you, reinvigorate us. And that the light in life would be light and life in our lives. Take a moment, if you would, just, Jason's going to play, play for a moment. Our team's going to come. And take just a moment to pray, God, what are you showing me? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? And then I'll guide you after that for just a moment. Bow your heads, just pray for just a moment. Lord, thank you that we can come to you that you hold us and never let us go and that we can hold on to you and find victory and we get to eat from the tree of life in paradise I don't even know what that means Lord but I can't wait And so give us a taste of that in this moment, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand and let's sing this song.